Let's go through every single package installed on a Linux install DVD, specifically Slackware 14.2. Um, of course, these are all open source packages that I'm talking about on this show, so they probably can still apply to you, even if you're not running Slackware and even if you're not running Linux. These are open source packages, so you can download the source code and run them on any computer, whether you're running Linux, Mac, Windows, BSD, doesn't matter. You can learn probably something from this episode. So let's get started. First in line this episode is Make, GNU Make specifically, which is important actually. I've used a couple of different versions of Make. I do believe I mean literally a couple, so two. So there's GNU Make that I've used, and then there's what I know as BMake. I, I, I think that stands for BSD Make. I never actually thought about that until just now. It's on NetBSD, and you will encounter that if you ever use Package Source. So I've used both of them, and I, I haven't yet come across something... I, I have not written a makefile that could not be processed by either of those two, but I do know that makefiles written for one are not... They're, they're not always compatible with the other. Slackware ships with GNU Make, so that's what I'll talk about in this episode. I'm not an expert in Make, and I've already heard from a listener who kind of is and and does a lot of work with Make and really appreciates how it enables them to build just what needs to be built because Make is pretty intelligent when it comes to determining what the state of your build environment looks like. If this is starting to sound like a precursor to something like, say, Ansible, then I, I honestly kind of think in, in many ways it is. I mean, I might be overstating it, but there's a, there are some common themes here. The, the ability to kind of differentiate between a, you know, an environment that has 32 of the files that needed to be built, built, versus an environment that needs everything to be built, that can make a big difference if you're building hundreds of object files or, or something like that. So it's kind of, it's kind of fancy in that way. And, and I have to admit that I don't, I don't really use it quite as quite as as heavily as as I think well as I know a lot of people are able to to use it however I know a little bit about it and so that's what I'm going to talk about in this episode gnu make the command actually before I start start down this path I'm going to do a less on slash var slash log slash packages and then make dash 4.1 tells me that the only binary included in this package is make. So that's all we have to cover today. It's not it's not one of those um, mega packages or anything. This is a single command. And the command, make, has a pretty good info and man page, so you can read that for, for all of the details. It, it is a very good read. Um, but the, the command, make, it kind of does one thing in a way, and that is, at least from the user's perspective, it processes a make file. So you tell make to launch, and it looks in the current directory for a make file to to parse and to process. You can also tell it where that make file is with a dash dash file option, or dash dash make file, or just a dash f for short. I think generally speaking, and this is generally, um, I think generally the 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 typical workflow there is simply to be in the directory where your make file is and to launch make and let it 
let it process the make file. Now there's there's very often something else that you launch with, or that you, uh, another subcommand, a verb in there that you use with make, but we'll get into that in a moment. So I'm going to go to a demo directory here, and I guess I'll make directory make demo, how's that? And in this demo, I'm going to make, I'm, I'm going to create a file called make file, and I believe the tendency, the tradition, is to do a capital M make file. Uh, that's what they recommend generally in the in the man page. They say make file with a capital M because that makes it kind of stand out with the other common directory files, such as readme and to do and authors and license or copying and, and so on. So that's I believe why they kind of push you in that direction. But make naturally GNU make looks for make files by the name of GNU make. Or, sorry, GNU make file. That's G-N-U all capitals, and then lowercase make file, and then make file all lowercase, and then make file with a capital M at the at the front. So that and it, and it looks for it in that order. So if you have a directory filled with GNU make file and then make file and make file, it would the make would would locate GNU make file first. Okay. So in this little demo directory here, I'm going to open up a file called make file. So this is the document that make, the make command is going to parse. And this file has a pretty simple, like a very basic, pretty simple structure. And that is that you provide a sort of a section title, I'll call it. Should have probably looked up to see if there's a specific, it's, it's actually a target, I guess, is, is, is what we're typing in. So hello is what I'm going to type. Hello colon. And then I'm going to hit return. And then I'm going to hit tab. And those are required. Those are requisites. Well, the return that there could be arguments after hello colon, but in my case, there's not going to be. Uh, but I've put a return because I need to be on the next line, and then a tab. That's required. If you don't have a tab in it to to sort of indent yourself over, and it does have to be a tab character, then make complains. So I've got hello colon return tab, and then I'm going to put echo quote hello world. I'm going to save that, and now I've got a directory with a makefile in it, and so in theory, from what I've said so far, the incomplete information that I've provided you, I should be able to just type in make, and it works. It, it says echo, quote, hello world, close quote, and then the, the string, hello world. There you go. All right, so there are a couple of things about that to talk about. First of all, why did it ec why did it tell us what it was doing. Well, the the default behavior of of GNU make is to to print the instruction that it is performing. What the, the print the um the shell instruction that is performing back to the terminal, and that's why we got echo hello world and then hello world on a separate line. We can change that by going into our file and placing an at symbol in front of the echo. You can put an at symbol in front of whatever command you're running. And we'll get into we'll get into other commands in a moment, but whatever you're running, you can put an at symbol in front of it and then I'm going to type in make and it just prints hello world. So it just does the instruction without telling you what it did. There are benefits to both. Sometimes you don't want your user to have to see the every line and then the results of that line, but other times, maybe you, you just want things to happen. You don't want to litter up, clutter up the, the terminal. So hello, colon, and, and of course I could call that anything. So I could call it um, hi instead of hello, and make executes that initial instruction. 
that's the default behavior of, of GNU make. You don't you don't have to have just one instruction block though. I'm going to change that back to hello. So I've got the hello block with at hello world, and then I could put a new block. So I'll do a return at the end of this file. I'll do uh, I'll type world colon and then return tab at um, let's do a make directory world. So now I've got a make file that is, that that ought to in theory echo hello and then make a directory called world. That's not what's going to happen, but 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 observe. So I'll do make. It echoes hello world successfully. So if I do an ls, Odyssey world, right? No, I don't see a directory called world. So the reason for that is because these instruction sets, these targets, hello and world, are they have specifiers, and the the initial one is being executed because it's the initial, it's it's the first target in the file, and so it gets executed by default. World does not get executed at all unless. For instance, I do make world. Now if I do an ls, I get the directory that I was hoping for. Remove that directory with rmdir, and that was successful. Now as you could tell, I only got world. I didn't get my hello world. So if I do make, I get my hello world, but I don't get my world directory. Okay, so how can you do both of these different actions together. And, and would you want to? That's probably a different dis discussion. Um, but what we're going to do is go into hello, colon, yeah, return tab at echo hello world, okay? So then world colon. Now instead of just leaving that line blank, I'm going to put the word hello. So what that says is that world will only execute provided that hello, the hello target, has has been triggered. So if I do a make world, I get, it executes the hello target, so I get the hello world uh, printed into my terminal. Then if I do an ls, I also get the world directory created in my folder. And, and the reason for that is because as part of the dependencies for world, a previous target was specified. So I've got world here, world colon space hello, and so that ensured that first it echoes hello to provide that target and then it proceeds in executing world and that's only again that that's because when i executed make i specified make world if i were only to type make it would still only default um to just the hello target I'd get hello world, but no world directory. So rather than making a dependency for world, what if we make a dependency for hello? So that would be hello colon space world, and then echo hello world, and then world colon make directory world. So if I do a make, it ex it, it looks at the hello, it, the, the first, the initial instruction, which is hello. It finds a dependency there. It says, well, I can't run hello until I create, uh, until I satisfy the world target. So it finds the world target in, in the make file. It executes it. Upon success, it goes back to the original uh, instruction that it was on and performs that. And if that's not clear yet, we could, for instance, do hello foobar, hello colon space foobar at hello world, world make directory world. So now we've specified a new target, a, a new dependency target called foobar, which doesn't exist in the make file. So if I hit return, 
it says make no rule to make target foobar needed by hello stop and that's all it does it so it hasn't created a directory for world it hasn't even echoed hello world it it discovered that before it could execute hello it had to execute or it, it had to satisfy the foobar target and then it couldn't find a target called foobar couldn't find a target that provided foobar and so it, it stopped okay so i think that's more or less clear um, and this is obviously a, a really basic example of of a make file, but and I don't want to stop there because um, make files are a lot more powerful. I mean, a lot of things are a lot more powerful than a hello world application that hasn't stopped me before. But in this case, I, I know a little bit more, and I've I've actually used this in real life uh, to a, a pretty pretty frequently, really. So I'm going to continue a little bit further. So one thing that you can do in in a make file is define variables. So I'm going to fix I'm going to fix this. I'm going to have it say uh, hello colon at echo hello world world make directory world. Uh, now at the very very top I'm going to create a, a variable definition and I guess I'll just call it var which is really boring but it, it's rather descriptive I think. It's a variable called var, and this variable is going to be var space equals space, and then I'm just going to put in quotes the word world. And then in the world target, rather than saying uh, make directory, actually, you know what, in the hello target, I think, I'm going to put hello dollar sign parentheses parentheses and in that and in, in those parentheses I'm going to write var that should work I think so in other words I've got hello colon return tab at echo quote hello dollar sign parentheses var close parentheses close quote and then world make directory world so now I'm going to do what am I going to do I forget already what the dependency what the dependencies are oh there are no dependencies okay so I can just do make and that should execute the first instruction, which is hello, and it does. And sure enough, it says hello world. Now, of course, just to make sure that that's not, it's not lying to us somehow, I'm going to change var to clatu and then do a make. And it says make, or it uh, says hello clatu. So that is working. The variable is getting referenced. Notice how I um, referenced the variable, though. The variable unlike in a shell script and this threw me off for ages just i and i think still today i get confused about the the way that you reference it but it's it's dollar sign parentheses or i guess in some countries it's a rounded bracket or something i don't really know they i think they just call it a bracket but anyway i mean i should know this because they do that in new zealand um but dollar sign bracket or parentheses var close parentheses. So it's the dollar sign parentheses parentheses because you have to like escape it for the make file or something like that. So that's that's how you reference a variable. You can also perform um, so you can launch subshells. So for instance, let's say that we want a variable called date and we're going to need the current date for this. So let's do a dollar sign parentheses and then the keyword shell space date that's the date command plus percent y dot percent m dot percent d close parentheses and now i could say hello var and then next line i'll say at echo quote it's dollar sign parentheses date close parentheses close quote save and then on my on my make in my directory i'll do make and it says hello clatu it's 21 
0.09.14, which is accurate. That's when I'm recording this episode. So there you go. That's um, that's that that's a variable that's containing the results of a shell. Uh, a, a, a shell session or a subshell, and I, mean, I guess it can't be a subshell if if it's not being launched, but it is being launched from from that shell. So yeah, I guess it's a subshell. Um, anyway, you can do you know all kinds of things. Like one of the things that I use that that technique for is to query the system to find out what what solution someone has for a specific thing. So for instance, if I need, um, I, I use make files when building building uh, books uh, frequently, so or documentation. So I'll do a PDF TK equals dollar sign parentheses shell, which PDF TK to greater than symbol slash dev slash null or, or, uh, or pipe pipe false, close parentheses. This tells me, or this creates a variable called PDF TK, and it puts into that variable the results of the which command. If which is successful, then it populates PDF TK variable with a path leading to PDFTK, such as user slash user slash bin slash PDFTK, for instance. If it is unsuccessful, then it causes the variable to be false. Now, in a makefile, you can do if if if, if uh, conditional statements. So, for instance, if I want to do something based on whether PDFTK exists on a system, then I could do if eq that's i f e q all one string space dollar sign and no space quote dollar sign parentheses pdftk close parentheses close quote space quote quote that's the conditional format it's not the best i don't think it's not c like i don't really understand why they did it this way but they did it this way so it's if eek space the variable and then the thing that you are or or i should say one value and then the other value that you're comparing it to i don't love that format there's no sort of delimiters, it's just quotes, I don't know, it's weird to me, maybe it's normal to some other people. Um, either way, that's the statement, and then the the action to take under that circumstance is on the next line after a tab, lots of lots of tab characters in make files. PDFTK equals, for instance, PDF-stapler, which is a which is a, an alternative to PDFTK for, for some lesser lesser actions that you might need to do, such as concatenating a, uh, a cover, a book cover to a manuscript. And then the next line, end if, E-N-D-I-F. If equals PDFDK, if, if the contents of that variable are empty, quote, quote, then set it to something else that maybe I know the, the user will have or, or you know, a, a good second guess or whatever. And then end if. And you can get more complex with your conditionals. I just wanted to demonstrate that you do indeed have conditionals here. You can compare values and take actions based on that. Okay, so let's see. You can also reference the name of the target itself. So for instance, in the little demo hello world er, um, makefile, I've got this one rule called world, and it does a, a quiet, so it's preceded by the at symbol, a quiet make dir world. Well, you don't have to make dir world. You can make dir dollar sign at instead. And then if I do a make world in the terminal, it quietly makes the name of the target, which is world. I don't know how common that is. It is something that's very common in my make files because I usually, what I, what I do 
uh, is I have a target called build, and the the action that build performs is a make directory of a folder called build, and that is a requirement of pretty much all the other steps in the make file or, or the rel you know the the important steps. Um, because build is the t it becomes the target directory for all of the all of the the making process. So the advantage here is that you can write very specific sort of recipes for for a specific process, and the recipe is fairly modular because you can you can you can make different targets that get executed as needed by other targets. So for instance, in in this demo here, this Emacs make file or this this make file here, this hello world make file. Uh, for instance, I have uh, hello its date and then world. I'm going to make a dependency on world of hello. So when I make my world directory, it's going to execute hello. Now then I'm going to make a new I'm going to make a new target here and I'm going to call it mm, clat2. I'm going to put that having a dependency of hello as well. And I'll have that make a directory called um, dollar sign at. So it's just going to make another. It's going to make a directory called clatu, right? So now if I do a make world clatu, so I'm doing make world uh, make world clatu. I get hello clatu. It's twenty one oh nine fourteen. And if I do an ls, I have a folder called clatu. And I have a folder called world, but notice I only got that hello message once, but it was a dependency on two targets. So shouldn't it have been executed once by hello, by by world and once by clat two? No, that's not how targets work, and that's one of the advantages here, is that if a target is has been satisfied, then it doesn't need to get executed again, and that's huge if you think about it. Again, if you're if you're compiling a bunch of object files or a bunch of things or, or concatenating a bunch of files together or whatever it is you're doing in your make file, it can take a long time for one target to be satisfied. Once it's satisfied, though, it's satisfied. And make knows that. It, it scans the directory structure. It finds the things that already exist. And it skips them as long as they're satisfied. And they don't have to be physical files, as you can tell, because an, an at echo to my terminal didn't produce any sort of tangible target, but it make knew that it had been executed once and therefore it did not get executed again. Alright, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do a remove directory, rmdir of clat2. It gets removed because it is an empty directory. And I'm gonna do make world clat2 again. Because this time I want to demonstrate. Actually we could even do this. Make hello space world space clat2. Hit return. Hello clat2 it's 2109014. And then there's an error. It says make directory cannot create directory world filed exists. Recipe for target world failed. So if I do an ls, unfortunately my make process is incomplete. It, it stalled at the world target. It errored out because world already exists. Now the way that I deal with that, and I probably should at some point look to see if there's some kind of special make file syntax for this. The way that I deal with it is I just do make dir dollar sign at and then I do or 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 pipe pipe true. So that tells the target resolution whether or not, you know, if if world already exists, then the make directory passes. Even if it would have failed, it passes. So let's try that again. Make hello world clat two says gives me the 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 statement the the echo statement and then to make a liar out of me it says it cannot create the directory 
world because it already exists. I swear to you this is my normal solution to this problem of just saying or or true and yet it's not working right now. That is so interesting. Could it be because of that variable value? I wonder. Make hello world. No, it's still... Oh, oh, I'm sorry. It didn't make a liar out of me. It actually succeeded. It was just telling me make dir cannot create directory world file exists. But the target itself was still resolved as true. Well, that kind of ruined that demo, my, my uncertainty. So um, instead, I'm going to I'm going to keep that error in just so that you we all get the pleasure of, of hearing the process work. But um, world is dependent on hello, and the command that it's going to carry out is at make dir at dollar sign at or, or uh, pipe pipe true. So now if I do a so even though the world directory exists from last time. If I do make hello world class 2, the echo gets echoed out um, to my terminal, and then I do get a warning saying make directory cannot create directory world file exists, but that's fine because if I do an ls, I see that the that the um, the, the the directory class 2 and world both do exist. I wonder if I could just if I piped the number sign the number two, and then a greater than or an angle bracket pointing to the right slash dev slash null or or true. I wonder if that would work. Yeah, that works and doesn't give me that error. So I guess I could start using it. I could start incorporating that into my into my sort of recipes because that's, that's not currently what I do. I just let that error show, but I guess I just generally ignore it. So yeah, the advantage here, as I was saying, I think, um, is that you can do very precise recipes that build a 100% a, a expected environment like there there should be as a result of a make process you don't really get stuff that you don't expect and this kind of harkens over to rpm uh, building as well when you're building a package for fedora or centos or red hat or seuss or magia that that spec file and pardon me if you don't if you've never built an rpm but just trust me that there is a spec file which kind of serves as a make file in a way and it it gets down to this sort of level of precision whereby you have to list every file that is included in the package and it seems crazy from like a, a slack build standpoint you just i just think that that seems so crazy and yet at the same time it's really really not like if if there's a process that is programmatic it is proscribed by a file and we we know what to expect from all of the outputs then we can list the outputs later and if there's an extra output in our output then something has gone wrong or if something's missing, then something has gone wrong. And and that's the kind of precision that, that GNU Make or, or any Make uh, system kind of um, ensures and kind of relies on. Here's, an, uh, here's a, a simple example, for instance, of, of a release. So release colon, some kind of dependency maybe, maybe not, I don't know, release colon return tab at make directory dollar sign parentheses title close parentheses dash dollar sign parentheses version close parentheses so you're making a directory of the title which is defined by a, a the variable and the version which is defined by a variable at copy or at cp space dist slash dollar sign parentheses title whatever license read me dollar sign title and then at zip dollar sign title at or dot dollar sign version dot zip dash r dollar sign parentheses title dash dollar sign parentheses version so you can 
you can create your, your release directory by the name and the, the version, copy your stuff over to it, and then zip it up. And now you've got a release tarball that you can post to whatever file server you're posting your releases to, and people can, can look at that. And you could automate that whole process. I mean, this is now automatable, right? Because you can you can automate the make process, you can, you can roll the release process into it, you could, of course, um, automate copying it up to your server. All of that can be done from within this a make file. It's just kind of what it does. Another common uh, use case here, or a, a common target anyway, in a make file is a clean target. You may have seen that in, for instance, package source. Yeah, package source is actually the one that I'm thinking of, I think. Or, well, I mean, even like FreeBSD, the ports tree, which I, I never understood. Does that use package source or is that a separate tree? I don't know. Um, but you've got the make clean or sometimes even a, no, at a at a job once I had to make tidy, which was nice. That was kind of a, a lesser make clean. And then I personally use make nuke which actually is not a very sensitive name, but I mean, it's just that 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 expresses it for me, and these make files are for me. So um, I, I make clean and I make nuke, and and clean removes like the build directory and the the temporary files that got dumped into the directory and so on. Whereas nuke executes clean, and then it also gets rid of everything that I'd copied into the dist directory. So it it really really resets everything. And another um, make nukes. I've had things like removing configure.am uh, or whatever it is, and make file.am and, and so on. Which brings me to the reminder that in real life, there's a strong likelihood that you're not going to make your own make files. You're not going to write your own make files. The reason for that is because make files for really complex projects can get very, very long and very complicated and you just probably potentially don't want to have to mess with that. Now, I mean, in, in real life, you may have to, um, and I've seen projects where where part of the project is the, it's, it's the maintenance of a makefile, and, and that's, uh, that's, that's a big part of just, like, the developers making sure that their project runs as expected or, or performs the task that is expected of it is, is that that makefile is handcrafted by them and kept accurate and up to date and you know accounting for all new changes in the development process a lot of other projects however just use a, a tool like auto tools which we've already discussed you you write your little skeleton make file.am or whatever it is and then you run uh, your auto make command and that generates like 700 lines of make file content and adds your 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 customizations into it and generally speaking it all works like magic it's pretty pretty impressive it can be almost overwhelming because then you see these make files that you didn't write and you don't really even understand and there are a lot of variables and a lot of references to other things it, it gets it gets very daunting but I mean, that's kind of what those tools are for. That's kind of the point, is that you don't have to worry about the details. You can just learn, you can just work on perfecting the part that, that is really, truly unique to your project, and everything else is just, just reinvention of the wheel, and so you don't do it. You let AutoTools take care of that for you, or AutoMake, I guess, make, make uh, take care of that for you. That's everything I have to say about Make. I mean, I could go through all of the different options and talk about the different things that you can do when you're launching Make, and and some of them are good. You know, there are some some good things. 
certainly the dash J or dash dash jobs can be very handy. Um, that specifies how many, essentially how many, um, how many threads to use when, when doing the make file or when, when, yeah, when processing the make file. So, uh, for instance, the, the, the common, the common rule of thumb is that you do a, a cat of CPU of slash proc slash CPU. What is it? Uh, CPU info or something like that slash proc CPU info. Yeah. And, and I guess there's a way for that. I'm, I'm just going to do it the lazy way and say grep processor. And then I guess I'll even do a pipe of tail and dash one. Now I get just the highest number, which is processor five. So that means my processor has six cores. And so my, the dash J for me would be uh, five dash J five. That in theory maximizes how many, you know, threads or whatever your, your make process is able to, to launch. Um, and it, it does speed things up. I mean, not, I haven't, I have yet to, no, that's not true. You know, it's one of those things where if you use that, you notice it on the, the long jobs, which because they are long jobs, you feel like they're still long, even though it was cut in half. You, you still think, oh, that took a long time. And so it doesn't, on one hand, yes, you, f you notice the difference because you think, oh my gosh, it only took an hour and a half instead of three hours. But at the same time, it's still an hour and a half. So you don't, you know, you want that magical dash J number that just makes it instantaneous, but that's just really hard to attain, I think, in, in real life. Um, but anyway, dash J, that's a good one. That's a very good one. And let's see, is there anything else? Not really. Yeah, it, it's a great command. You can read all about it in the info pages, the man pages. You can um, find out all the different options, or yeah, options available for it. Is there a reason to use GNU Make over, let's say, a shell script or Ansible? Well, I think for a shell script, yes, absolutely. You would be reinventing many wheels if you were to implement the conveniences that make files provide with a shell script. Conversely, you are, I'm not going to say severely hindered, but you will feel like you've got a, you feel like you're, you're taking a penalty when you start writing make files if you're not used to make files. And even sometimes if you are used to make files, you still feel like you're kind of constrained in really weird ways. You know, you think, well, first of all, I don't know all the keywords that I can use. The if thing isn't working. I can't remember what Klaatu said it was. It was something like if something or another. It's if EQ, by the way. Um, and then it's end if. Um, and, and so you're, you know, you're stumbling around trying to do things that come naturally to you maybe in bash. And so it, it, it ends up just being frustrating. But if you get over that, then eventually you may find yourself getting relatively comfortable with, with make files and you start you find yourself able to kind of perform uh, really useful tasks, you know, like you, 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 you see the, you see all of your targets come together and they're, they're executing and they're based on the success of others and, and it all just kind of works and you get pretty happy about it. And if you try to implement that in a shell script, then I'm sure it's possible. It's just going to take a lot of test statements and a lot of kind of, um, just I guess it's it would have to be something that yeah very test driven I guess almost in a way because otherwise you're just not gonna really know how much of that make file needs to be made so yeah I feel like you could probably do it but then again like why are you reinventing that wheel and there are probably some drawbacks that I'm not even thinking of there's probably I'm sure there are some drawbacks that I'm just not thinking about but anyway so uh, yeah I mean 
I think sometimes there is there is a call for a make file rather than a shell script. That is something that I've struggled with before, though. I've definitely sat down to do a thing, and I have written a shell script thinking, look at me, I don't need make files. And then in the end, realizing, no, I needed the make file. Not, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but someday you'll need that make file. And the reason for that is because of the extreme portability of automated make files, I think. Uh, like auto tools, which I mean, I'm, I'm starting to just repeat my argument for auto tools and CMake at this point, but the flexibility of those systems is, is huge. They are accounting for systems that you don't even know exist, and they have code written in them to make it so that when someone executes your, your make file on a, on a, literally an OS that you don't know exists that they get the expected output and that's a huge that's a huge deal i mean it it can boil down to something as simple as doing like i don't know make directory slash home slash dollar sign user slash foo only to find out that on some systems slash home isn't located at slash home it's slash var slash home or slash capital u users how could you predict that you can't but if if auto make and auto tools, if they know that about their environment, then you don't have to know about that. So yeah, shell scripts are, are great, and I think they're easy to default to if that's what you're used to. But sometimes, um, I guess as they say, the right tool for the right job. And sometimes GNU make, or rather I should say make, is the right tool for the right job. So about GNU make versus, for instance, bmake, I said in the beginning that I've, I've not personally written a, a make file that cannot run on on both. That's as far as I know. There are make files though in the package source tree, that package source pkgsrc.net I think. Uh, it's a it's the it's the sort of the, the main central repository for software for a lot of BSDs. Um, in in package source if you if you were to download that and run it and you can download it and run it on Linux. I've done episodes about it in the past and I I'll probably do episodes on it in the future, but it it's, it it is really handy. Um, and it's just this kind of more or less, you know, in theory, universal software repository, which sounds really, really appealing. It, there are caveats. But if, if you download that and you forget to use bmake and just use make, then it fails. And sometimes you'll spend an afternoon trying to figure out why that's happening until you finally read the documentation where it says, if you're on a Linux system, be sure to execute bmake, not just make very clear. It's written right in the documentation. And yet, some of us miss that for whole afternoons. Not that I'm speaking from experience by any means. Actually, I am. I'm, I'm speaking from experience. That's a story that happened to me. Okay, so that's Make. It's a really great... Oh yeah, so let's talk really quick about Ansible. I think that Ansible is... Um, I, I do think there's probably some, you know, sort of inheritance there. I, I don't know, if, probably not direct, but there, there's got to be some some principal similarities between just make the the make system and ansible but ansible i would say is so it, it's not really focused on on compiling code it, it is very much focused on the state of a system which i mean it's it's that's pretty that's pretty similar to a make system but make system is very is hyper specific to to sort of files in directories being managed for a specific project. I mean, I'm sure there are great uses of Make that divert from that, but I think Ansible really takes on a bigger world view and kind of targets a lot more than just just 
sort of what makefile does target. And I think there's probably an argument, even if there's an argument, if someone could demonstrate, which I'm sure probably many people could demonstrate that GNU make or bmake or whatever make system could could do what Ansible did, I'm sure there would be a lot of abuses there within the make system because that's just not what make is de- de- designed to do. Whereas Ansible is designed to go out to the network, find the ho- the target hosts in the list that it has, and then to execute commands as needed, um, to escalate privileges as needed, and so on. So there's, you know, it's it's kind of a different a different different targets. Although it it is a very similar system, but I would I would probably in my mind I, I would think that Ansible is specialized enough for what it does to deserve sort of its own place and make and CMake and so on are specialized enough for what they do that they deserve their space. And shell scripts are are great all-purpose tools, but in order to avoid reinventing a bunch of wheels or excluding a bunch of systems, you would use make for compiling, ansible for system maintenance, shell scripts for um, you know, just odd jobs on the system that, you know, we, we all know what shell scripts are for. We, we, we use those in real life. So that's what you would do with those, I guess. So that's everything about make pretty much that I know about. It's a big, big system. There's a lot more to say, I'm sure, but that's, that's just kind of the overview that I've got based on my own experience. Let's go take a coffee break. look at the time. I had no idea it was so close to the end of the episode. Otherwise, I wouldn't have really done a co- coffee break. We could have just had coffee separately. But you know what? It's better to have coffee together. So let's take a couple of listener emails. This one is this one is from Deep Geek. He's talking about uh, ZFS. And he says, and this is an excerpt from a longer chain, um, as he points out in this email, actually, which was actually sent at 137, which... If you think about it, in 24-hour clock, it's 13.37, so that's kind of appropriate. I didn't mean to pressure you to use ZFS, but it is such a power. It is such powerful stuff and makes all other kinds of things work. I do know if you try it, you will love it. I thought of you as I fixed my partition problem, because I had to move ZFS datasets off an array, reformat the array, and move it back. I know you love elegant command line stuff, and moving a dataset in ZFS is done with a pair of commands called send and receive. Thus, shipping a ZFS dataset is sudo ZFS send array name slash dataset name, pipe receive new array name slash dataset name. The beauty here is that there is no difference between this and sudo ZFS send array name slash dataset name, pipe SSH, IP address, ZFS receive new array name, dataset name, thus being able to use some secure shell to ship datasets all over the world. Well, I mean, this is Klaatu again. I mean, he's right. That is elegant. That's amazing. Yeah, this is... you know, the, the ZFS thing, for me, really, honestly, boils down to only one thing, and that is it's just not super convenient yet on Slackware. You can do it, and I don't know why I haven't done it yet. Um, well, no, I, I do know why, and that's because it's not convenient. You can do it. But you know you have to you have to work at it, and I, and I honestly haven't even I, I looked into it at one point, but I haven't I, I don't remember where it's at now, 
And so there's, yeah, it's just, it's the sheer lack of, of it being as easy as the press of a button. And speaking of file systems, the hacker defo wrote and said, in episode 1247, you mentioned that you were saying goodbye to JFS and adopting EXT4. I did a bit of searching, and and in conclusion, I reached uh, that JFS ain't bad, to say the least. You made a wise choice back in time, without a doubt. Here's a quote from the ArchWiki. JFS is a stable, feature-rich file system that has not been publicized as much as some of the other Linux file systems. With optimizations, JFS is stable, CPU-efficient, and fast. In particular, uh, virtual machine sessions stand to benefit enormously from a properly optimized and defragmented underlying JFS file system. And I gotta admit, like, I, yeah, it's true, I've been really happy with JFS, and I, I will admit to still using it on a partition or two. So even as I said I'm saying goodbye to JFS, I never really said goodbye to JFS. I did say goodbye to JFS on my thumb drive. I think that was... I almost wonder if that... No, I think I... Yeah. I think JFS, I mean, it, it, it doesn't benefit from the ubiquity of EXT 2, 3, and 4. So within the Linux world, you are less likely to find JFS support just inherited in your system. You might have to build that as a module yourself and then load the module and, and, and get support that way. And sometimes, you know, when you're recovering a system or something like that, that makes a big difference. Um, and certainly for a thumb drive, that makes a huge difference. Because if you th- if you plug your thumb drive into your workstation and your laptop, both running Linux, and they're f- it's it's fine, then you'll never notice it. But then if you go to another Linux machine that you don't usually use and you plug it in and suddenly it says, oh, don't know what that is. That's not super convenient. And and if it's not a Linux system that you have any strong ownership over, uh, in other words, you don't have the ability to build uh, a kernel module and 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 load it and so on, then that, that can become kind of a, it'll slow you down. So JFS is great. I, I actually do quite like it. And I didn't really have, you know, any huge complaints about it. It was just that it it had a little, it had a few things that just didn't didn't make things super super easy. Um, and 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 so that that's one that I would love to get back to possibly more. Although now that Deep Geek is uh, not pressuring me to get started with ZFS, I'm kind of feeling like maybe that could be the next one that I maybe I could finally sort of delve into that. In the past. With new file systems, um, I have often found that I will, you know, taking the leap into a file system is relatively easy. You learn the new makefs command, you learn maybe, uh, you, you learn, well, to build it into your kernel if it's not already there. Uh, you know, you, you restructure it however you need to structure it, and, and then you have it. And how exciting is that? The problem for me is that like when are you going to take advantage of of what the file system actually has you has to offer and that's where it's been kind of that's where I've I've not quite gotten to where I feel like I need to be to to truly appreciate a file system heck I was running butterfs on a fedora machine for ages and never even once did I touch a butterfs feature just didn't even didn't even mess with it in fact I might be running it right now on silver blue on the silver blue partition so yeah i mean you know it's just it's it's you can run the file system but if you never interact with it in a unique way then why are you running it and that's that's where i have to i have to resolve to um to be a little bit 
braver and to explore well it's not a lack of bravery but to but i have to resolve to to delve in and to actually explore the features of of some new exciting file system instead of just using the file system and then forgetting that it exists which arguably for most people is what a file system ought to do for you that that's that's the extent of it as long as as long as that file system boots saves your data and then if you unplug your computer without turning everything off your data is still still there like up to the last key press i mean that's 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 great you know that's that's what you want out of a file system and and all the um the juggling of data that deepgate gets up to is is it's inspiring but i i'm you know I, I struggle to know whether or not i'm going to take advantage of it so we'll get there we'll get there that's um those are commentaries about file systems and that's really about all I have for this episode. I know it's um, we're coming up on time, really, here. So thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. My name's Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not Klaatu, at mastodon.info. XYZ. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info. In the archive, you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted. Until next time, thanks for listening and keep the source open. the very soul of a human being to give life to his robot creation.